Hey, welcome here, Pathway family. I'm excited that you're joining us this morning, or whenever it is that you're taking this message in, because we're starting a new series, and this new series is called Family Funhouse. Now, we're calling it Family Funhouse because we truly do believe that families are to be fun. The homes that we're in, the relationships that we have are to be enjoyed, and so we really love this idea of calling it the Family Funhouse. Now, you need to know, that in your family, and you probably have experienced this to some level already, that you experience support and you experience uh, people in your corner in a way that you don't really in a lot of other places if you are in a healthy family environment. Statistics also show us that in healthy family environments, especially for children, that they grow up to be a lot more confident and independent and sure of what they're able to accomplish in life. But even on top of that, there's health benefits to having a healthy family. And so this series, the goal is to give some tools on how to be able to have some biblical principles applied to our family experiences so that we can raise our children, be better spouses, be better uh, individuals in the context of family that spills over into our relationships everywhere else that we encounter people. So I'm excited for that. Uh, I'm glad you're here to join us. Today, we're starting off our series with, are you ready? Family Funhouse, stop complaining. If you want to have a great family experience, then in your home, we need to help. Uh, and even in my home, we need to have less complaining. So today, we're talking about stop complaining. If you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn with me to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Philippians 2, 14 and 15. If you do not know where the book of Philippians is, in the beginning of your Bible, there is a table of contents. People worked really hard to put it there. Don't be ashamed to use it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. And one of the ways we like to show respect here for God's word at Pathway Community Church is we like to stand for the reading of his word. So wherever you are, that'd be really interesting. If you were sitting on a bus right now. It'd be weird to have you do this. But wherever you are, would you stand for the reading of God's word this morning? Let's read this together. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, and the very first line of verse 16. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And listen, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time here, and I pray, Jesus, that as we're looking into your word and as we're attempting to internalize the things that need to be internalized for us, that Jesus, through your Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, that you would convict us of the things that need to be convicted, that you would grow us into the people that you desire for us to be, that you would lead us into this truth that we need to hang on to, that, Jesus, we would be able to evaluate our lives in such a way that we reorient our lives more towards being like you and less like us, especially, Lord, as we talk about complaining. In your name I pray. Amen. So there's, a, I think, a truth statement that we could make, and very specifically as it relates to this passage from Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, there's one main statement that we can use to bring out a, an underlying principle from this passage, and that is this, that we are called to shine out, not blend in. I'll say that again. We are called to shine out, 
not blend in. And in that idea, it's just simply here, it says that then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. We'll be like stars in the sky. We won't be like everything else. We're not like that darkness that's in between the stars. We are the stars, and the blending in would mean that we would be part of that darkness. So we were called to shine out, not blend in, especially as it relates to this topic of complaining. Now, let's be honest with each other, okay? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because that might be maybe a little bit too much personal confession in the room that you're in, but how many of you find yourselves really, really good at complaining? Really good at complaining. And and as you're thinking about that, what do you find yourself complaining most about? Just hang on to that for a little bit. There's a story of a man who decided to join a monastery. And one of the rules of this particular monastic group was that you were only allowed to speak two words at the end of ten years. So every ten years, you could say two words. And so this gentleman, he joins this monastic group, and at the end of this first 10 years, he's allowed to say his first two words, and he says, food, bad. 10 years go by, and at the end of his second 10 years, he comes to the group of leaders that he needs to be coming towards, and and they ask him, okay, what is it that you want to say? He says, bed, hard. And then another 10 years go by, And it's his 30th anniversary of his time in this monastery. And he says, you ready? I quit. And to which the monk in charge responded, it doesn't surprise me a bit. You've done nothing but complain since you got here. Now, okay, that's a silly one. I get it. It's a cheesy thing. But we are so good at complaining. It's like we just naturally move into the space of, discontent when we see the world through the lens of negativity and interpret our life accordingly only constantly thinking about what's wrong or what doesn't quite measure up to what our expectations would be we we actually then don't allow our brains to process the good things the things that are counter what we are leaning into and so in other words what you could really say is that the more we complain Uh, we will find exactly what it is that we're looking for. If you're looking for something to complain about, let's just understand this. If you're looking for something to complain about, you will find it. There's never a time that you will not be able to find something to complain about. It would be like you go out to uh, a steak dinner and you're sitting with a couple and you say, man, this is a great meal. How's your steak? And the first thing you hear them say is, mine's better at home. Okay, but you're not at home. You're out for dinner, and this is a time to be full of gratitude for the ability to be able to connect with other people, that you have somebody else that just cooked for you. We can always find something to complain about. Now, uh, Psychology Today is a website with a magazine, and they offer some insight regarding complaining in an article called Three Types of Complaining. Now, this is from June of 2017. And he says there's three types of complaints, or complainers, rather. There's what you would call the chronic complainers. And those are those people who just, they just never seem to be satisfied with anything. Things are just always wrong. They have a tendency to ponder uh, problems and focus on setbacks rather than progress. Some research suggests that they make a habit, sorry, by making a habit of complaining, we can actually rewire our brains so that the negative thinking 
is our default position. Think about that. Chronic complaining can potentially lead to that being the default position for everything we have in life. You ever meet somebody that just complains all the time, it's just a chronic complainer that just doesn't have anything in life that seems to be going well? Not a lot of fun to spend time with, are they? Second one would be what they would call venting. Now, venting is the idea of expressing, expressing sorry, emotional dissatisfaction. And, and these people, those of us who vent, it turns out that we actually have an agenda, according to psychology today. We tend to be focused on ourselves and our own presumably negative experience. And we are particularly likely to discount advice and propose solutions to our problems. That we aren't actually really looking to solve anything. We just simply want to be validated. We just want to be heard. That's venting. And then the third one is what is called instrumental complaint. And that's all about solving problems. When you confront your spouse about overspending on the credit card, it could be instrumental complaining, especially if you focus on the impact of the problem, on the importance of change, on the importance of keeping a budget and planning towards your future. One study actually suggests that these types of complaints make up fewer than 25% of all complaints. So you know what that means? That means the vast majority of complaints that take place are from the venting, those who are just expressing emotional dissatisfaction, and the chronic complainers. So it's really those who are not looking for solutions, those who are just negative all the time, those who are just seeking to be validated in their feelings and what they've thought. 25% of all complaints are those that are solutions-based. And so for the remainder of this message, I want you to have in your mind that other 75% of complaints, the chronic complaints and those complaints where we're just wanting to be validated, we're not really looking for solutions. That's the kind of complaining I want you to have in your head as we continue forward because that's the kind of complaining that becomes corrosive in your family. Because people do not appreciate spending time with complainers. Now, when it comes to many of us, we are careful to tell the truth we are careful not to gossip. We don't want to slander. We don't want to swear. We don't use God's name in vain. But we pay little attention to the corrosive words of complaints that just so easily flow out of our mouths. And I, and I, and I choose that word corrosive on purpose because we all understand how acid works. Different kinds of acids work in different ways, but they basically have this way of burning away or eating away at whatever it is that they touch. That's what corrosive words do to whatever they touch. Corrosive words destroy our spiritual lives and our relationships. Now, if you're looking for a formula on how to destroy your relationship with God and others or a formula to just destroy life in general, well, then, then here it is. You ready? Give yourself over to complaining and criticizing, and you'll just wreck everything in your path. That's what will happen. You'll be somber all the time. You'll have a sense of depressing about you. There's not going to be anything good that's going to be coming from this. You will be in this constant state of, I don't want to say turmoil, but it's going to be low. We wreck life when we give ourselves over to things that eat life. That's the idea of these corrosive words. 
When we complain, we are giving ourselves over into these complaints. Now remember, we're talking about those complaints that are not looking for solutions and are just constantly negative with, with no positive uh, idea, no positive outlook at all. That's what we're referring to. And so when we wreck, we wreck life, when we give ourselves over to the things that eat life, these corrosive words that come with complaining. Now imagine what that does to your family. If nothing ever measures up in your family, if everything that everyone does isn't quite good enough, or if everyone has some flaw that we have a tendency to just focus on, and how likely is it that you're going to be proud of your family members? How likely is it that you're going to be able to cherish your family members? How likely is it that you're going to be able to offer grace to your family members if all you're focused on is what's wrong, is what's negative? Now, don't get me wrong. It's not that we don't deal with the issues and the families that need to get dealt with. But if our focus is solely on what's wrong, we'll never see what's right. All we do is give ourselves over to complaining about everything. And I mean everything. We complain about the weather. We complain about the government. We complain about uh, the economy. Some of us complain about our jobs. Some of us complain about our bosses, our coworkers, our income. We complain about our physical features, whether or not we have too much here or too little there. We complain about our cheekbones, our eyes. Mine are a little bit close together. We, we complain about the love handles and sagging. I mean, if I sit on a bar stool, then I probably have a hangover just from sitting on it. I mean, like we, we complain about all kinds of things. We complain about our families, our parents, our siblings, our spouses, our children, or the way that we don't discipline our kids or the way that we don't see others disciplining their kids. Isn't it amazing how many things we can find ourselves complaining about? The negative we choose to stay under, we will never get over. You hear me? The negative that we choose to stay under, we will never get over. So what does the Bible actually say about complaining? Well, the Bible is actually quite clear on the kind of talk that is to be coming from our mouths and, and certainly of the mouths of God's people. In Philippians chapter 2, 14 and 15, as we read, he says, do everything, listen, without complaining or arguing. Everything without complaining or arguing. How many of us are doing well in that checklist? So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked, depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe. The idea of being overly critical or to be one who criticizes is expressed in the biblical ideas of strife, discord, and nagging. And so when we're talking about complaining, we're being overly critical. We're often creating strife and often we're nagging in those things. And Solomon wrote Proverbs, and he writes an awful lot of great advice in there, and he has a tendency to focus on things that are quarrelsome and, and the fools and wisdom. And, and in offering wisdom, he references what it means to be married to a quarrelsome wife. Now, look, we all know that this idea of being quarrelsome could just be, as easily be a husband, could be a co-worker, could be a child. So when you hear this passage, I don't want you to just fixate on the wife in this because you could actually replace that with any person in your family unit. So listen to this passage from Solomon who had an awful lot of wives and an awful lot of relationships. In Proverbs 21 verse 9 it says this and this isn't even a joke. He says 
Better to live on the corner of a roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. You hear that? Better than to deal with someone who's quarrelsome with you, complaining all the time with you, is to live on the corner of a roof through all the elements that you're going to experience. He also says, better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and ill-tempered wife or husband or child or parent. That's Proverbs 21.19. Proverbs 27.15. A quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day or quarrelsome husband or child or parent. Nowhere in Scripture, though, is complaining more graphically depicted than with the children of Israel. In the end, the Jewish adults that came out of, the, out of Egypt were denied entrance into the promised land because of their complaining and their lack of faith that was evidenced by their complaints and their criticisms. And really, if you want to focus it in a little bit further, all we need to do is look at Numbers chapter 13 and 14. Maybe you'll remember this story. Uh, the people of Israel were poised to, uh, on the edge of the promised land and the, for the very first time. And 12 spies were sent out into the promised land. And when they came back, 10 of those spies reported that we can't attack the people. They're stronger than us. We're like grasshoppers to them. We will never, ever overcome. And all they kept thinking about was how they were insufficient, unable to take the stronger people. He says we're like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we look the same to them. This is Numbers 13, verses 32 and 33. But Joshua and Caleb, who were amongst the spies, while affirming the details of this account, yeah, these guys are huge. There's no question. Those sons of Anak, the Nephilim, the, they're enormous. You're right, they're massive people. And it looked daunting. And they described all the different tribes of people that were in the land of Cana. But for Joshua and Caleb, they maintained that God was able to give the promised land to his people because he said he would. And the whole story of Numbers 13 and 14 is a perfect example of the destructiveness of complaining and criticizing. I mean, think about what it leads to. The first thing that we notice in, in this particular passage or passages in Numbers 13 and 14 is that complaining and criticizing ignores God's potential. That's what it does. Complaining and criticizing ignores God's potential. The report of the ten spies was given from a godless perspective, not a godly perspective. If God had brought them through the plagues of Egypt, had opened the sea to save them, provided water from the rock when they were thirsty, then surely this same God was going to be able to give them the promised land that he said he would give. It's why it's called the promised land. Because he promised. We ignore God's potential because we forget what he's already done. We forget that he keeps his promises. Complaining leads to wrong conclusions and bad judgments. The grumbling, the Israelites said, they went a little bit like this. They said, why is the Lord bringing us into this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, 
we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Numbers 14. Their conclusions about God's intentions couldn't be further from the truth. But when our godless grumbling gets rolling and we bring other people into that godless rumbling because misery loves company, it steamrolls over anything else. And wrong conclusions and judgments are easy to accept. Another thing that we learn in this is that complaining and criticizing leads to self-pity. Maybe you've seen this quite a bit in your own life or maybe in the lives of a loved one. The Israelites declared, if we had only died in Egypt or in this desert, those given over to complaining and criticizing often feel very sorry for themselves. And they nurse those feelings of self-pity and mistreatment. Four, complaining and criticizing breeds rebellion. Joshua and Caleb urged the murmuring Israelites not to rebel against the Lord. So this whole idea of not going in and taking the promised land, the idea of finding a new leader and going back over into Egypt was rebellion against the Lord. The Israelites were ready to elect new leaders and stone those who opposed their rebellious plans. And then finally, complaining results in God's judgment. You see, we don't get off scot-free. Our words matter, and there's accountability in them. God's judgment on the Israelites was swift, and it was final. Their complaining and criticizing defamed God's presence, power, and glory. So God had to punish his people when they behaved this way. So not only did the Israelites experience God's judgment, they missed out on God's blessings. Not one of them would be allowed to enter the promised land. The example of the Israelites is one that we would want to learn from and avoid. So, maybe you're sitting here right now and you're hearing all of this and you're like, you're convinced. Complaining, not the way to go. Complaining is not something that's going to bring life to me and it's certainly not going to bring life to my family. How do I stop complaining? So how do we keep our hearts from developing a complaining, critical spirit so that our tongues will not spew these corrosive words? I only got really two suggestions for us. Two things to focus on so that we can move into a different way of viewing life rather than complaining. The first one would be this. We need to be realistic. Be realistic. I like the story of an old man who limped into his doctor's office and the doctor he goes to the doctor and says, doctor, my knee hurts so bad that I can hardly walk. And so the doctor slowly eyed him from head to toe. And he says, sir, how old are you? I'm 98, the old man announced very proudly. And then the doctor sighed and he said, sir, look, you are almost 100 years old. You're complaining that your knee hurts. What did you expect was going to happen? And the old man replied, he says, listen, my other knee is 98 years old too, and it doesn't hurt. We need to have realistic expectations. Yeah, at 98 years old, he's going to start having his body wear down. That's just a reality. Not, actually, not even just start having his body wear down. It's likely that his body's been wearing down for a while. He needs a realistic expectation there. Because we live in an imperfect world with imperfect people. 
we need to expect that things and people are not going to be the way we might like them to be. In other words, we will fail people. And people will fail us. And that's just the context of relationships. We're going to experience all kinds of things in life that may not go in the direction we want them to go. We have our preferences, and then this other thing takes place. Realistically speaking, there are always going to be opportunities to complain and criticize. Even when things are going amazingly, we can always find something in there to complain about. Satan, our enemy, he'll make sure that we have plenty of things to find fault with. And so we need to make sure that our expectations are in line with what is realistic. Sometimes we set ourselves up for complaining and criticizing because our expectations are just too high. If we expect that we're always going to get what we want, because we certainly live that way sometimes, right? If we expect that we're always going to get what we want, then we're setting ourselves up for failure and for complaining, for disappointment. If we expect that people are always going to do the right thing and do what is best for us, then we are in for a rude awakening. If we expect that life is going to be easy without challenges, without difficulties, then we're going to really struggle because it doesn't work that way. That is not reality. And that struggle will be intensified by our unrealistic expectations. The truth of the matter is, is that life is often unfair, and it's difficult, and that many of us either have been or will be dealt a difficult hand. And so when things like this happen, we may feel like we have every reason to complain and criticize, but we shouldn't. Now, when I say complain and criticize, I'm talking about the, the compulsive complainer, the one who is just never seeing anything good, and I'm talking about the person who is just venting that's not looking for solutions. They just want to be validated. If we want to talk about the kind of complaint that seeks solutions, let's do that. But that's only 25% of the time, according to the stats. Look, here's the reality. We know how bad things got for Jesus, and yet he controlled his tongue. Isaiah 53, verse 7 says this. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. If anyone had reason to open his mouth, complain, criticize, to call people out on things, it was Jesus, and yet he remained silent. 1 John 2, 6. You ready? This is the amplified version because I just like how it says it. Whoever says he lives in Christ, that is, whoever says he has accepted him as God and Savior, ought as a moral obligation to walk and conduct himself just as Jesus walked and conducted himself. The ability to control our tongues in those circumstances begins by being realistic in our expectations. The second thing to focus on then is this. If we want to move away from complaining towards more life-giving, then we've got to have our expectations set. We've got to be realistic, but really equally important, if not more importantly, we need to be a grateful people. The main cause of complaining and criticizing is focusing in on the negative. Instead of thanking God for what we do have, we complain about what we don't have. 
You find yourself doing that? Instead of thanking God that we have a job, we complain about what it's like at the job. Instead of focusing on how far we've come in life and all that God has done with us, we focus on how far we still have to go. Although we might not be where we want to be right now, we can thank God that we are not where we once were. Although we may not have the best job in the world right now, we can thank God that we're employed at all. We can always find something to complain about and be critical of. We can always find something then equally true to be grateful for. So rather than complaining about having to mow the lawn, be thankful that you're healthy enough to mow the lawn. Rather than complaining about having to fix the car, be thankful that we have a car and how often the car has gotten us to where we need to go. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says this, Give thanks in all circumstances. So all those things that we complain about, that we criticize, that we're unhappy with, give thanks in all circumstances, not just the ones that make us feel good. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Guess that? So no complaining and grumbling and arguing. Instead, we give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Because that's the will of God for us in Christ Jesus. We need to realize that the thanklessness that comes out in complaining is not ultimately a response to our circumstances. Now, hear me when I say this. It is an accusation against God. We may think we're just complaining and criticizing about our situation or the people around us, but in reality, we're judging God who's allowed us to be right where we are. So whatever it is you find yourself complaining about, whatever it is you find yourself criticizing about, understand, know this, God placed you right where you are. Period. It seems to me that God knows better than I do. And that when I complain, I'm actually saying I know better. And I'm passing judgment on what God is allowing in my life. Seems to me also that there's another character in the scriptures that had that same conversation with him. Remember Job? Job started lamenting about all these different things, and then, and then God speaks into it, and he says this. You ready? This is powerful. Were you there? When I made the mountains, that line right there should set us straight. We do not get to judge God because we don't like our experiences. So we may think that we're just complaining about our situation, about the people around us, but in reality, we're judging God who has allowed us to be right where we are. And ultimately, a heart of gratitude and thankfulness isn't dependent on our bank account. It isn't dependent on a doctor's diagnosis or the praise we receive from a job well done. Gratitude comes from a heart that loves God and sees the blessings of God. We catch that? A heart of gratitude comes from a heart that loves God and sees the blessings of God, even in the things that we find difficult. So my encouragement to us then is this. Be different. Be different. The easiest thing to com- it's the easiest thing to complain, but God calls us to be different. 
God wants us to do everything without complaining and arguing so that we can stand out from others. And when we don't complain and criticize like others, then people take notice and there's something different about us. And Philippians tells us that we will shine by not complaining and criticizing. We can be a light shining in this universe. And so how about this for this next week? Let's make it our goal to be different by not complaining and being so critical with our words. And let's just start each day for this next week. One thing that we ask ourselves to do and commit ourselves to in this next week is to start each day with the goal of going the whole day without complaining and without criticizing. And we seek to understand and see the blessings of God in front of us rather than the complaints we have. Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Do everything. Everything. So whether it's work or family, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. We are called to shine out, not blend in. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time here, and I thank you that there are so many things that we can be grateful for. I thank you for the breath that I have. Lord, as I think about my own family, I thank you for my son and how you wired him and how, Lord, there are interesting challenges that we have in our relationship that cause me to grow and cause him to grow, and I thank you for that, Jesus. I thank you for my daughter, Lord God, and how creative you have made her. And in the same way, Lord, causing me to grow and causing her to grow out of our relationship with each other. I thank you for my incredible bride, who pushes me to become an even better man. And I pray, Jesus, that as our family is engaging with this idea of the family fun house, that we would be encouraged, that we would grow, that we would stretch in just my family, Lord. But Lord, I also ask that you would grow and stretch and, and, and just excite the other families that are going to engage with this. Lord, help us to be a people that are grateful, not complainers. Lord, that we would seek solutions when we have something that bothers us. But we wouldn't just seek validation and we wouldn't become chronic complainers. Let us be more like you. In your holy and precious name I pray.